Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, August the 3rd. Today's briefing topic, not having children because of the coronavirus. I'm not the only one. Like I would say um, about 50% of my friend group are in the situation where they've chosen not to have children. Before we get to that, Annika Smethurst is here for today's big headlines. Victoria is in a state of disaster as Melbourne wakes up to its first morning in stage four, which is Australia's tightest ever restrictions. There's some shock and awe here uh, for people to genuinely understand uh, that it's a it's a super challenging phase that we're in. Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton there. There were 671 new cases yesterday in Victoria, but Premier Daniel Andrews says it's actually a different number that they're really worried about. We have 760 mystery cases. They are active cases where we cannot trace back the source of that person's infection. Those mysteries, that community transmission, is in many respects our biggest challenge. Huge concern there. Now, look, under stage four, five million Melburnians can no longer go more than five kilometres from their home for shopping and for exercise, and that's not all. There will be a curfew across metropolitan Melbourne from 8pm this evening, and it will run from 8pm to 5am each and every day. And the only reason to be out of your home is to get care, to give care, or to go to and from work or be at work. And Annika, you've been speaking to ministers over the weekend. What's the logic behind the curfew? Look, I'm trying to read between the lines here, but they really wanted to do targeted measures to try and bring this in. So stopping restaurants serving food, even if it's takeaway, wasn't going to do it. It was house parties. It was people gathering at homes. So I think the curfew is designed to stop people, I guess, illegally catching up at night. And I know it's really, really hard for people and it sort of sounds draconian, but it really is, I guess, targeted at those people that are most stuffing up this up for everybody. Yeah, okay. Well, the rest of Victoria will go back to stage three restrictions from Wednesday night. That's regional Victoria. The Mitchell Shire, which is already locked down, will remain at stage three. Annika, how did Dan Andrews justify such tough measures overall? He really gave Victorians a choice. It was six months of what they're doing now with the huge numbers they're seeing every day, which to put in perspective, in Victoria, the numbers they're seeing are nearly high as what they're seeing in the whole of the UK every day. And Victoria is a state much smaller than the UK. So it was a six-month prospect. They can continue down that path with high numbers and live at stage three or try this six-week hard lockdown and hopefully we see those numbers drop down. If we were to pursue this strategy uh, with a view to driving down numbers to a very low level, a containable level where we could reopen, it would likely be the end of the year before we were able to reopen. That's a six-month strategy that is simply not going to work. And Annika, where do you think the federal government stands on the path Victoria is taking now? They're not happy they got here, but now they're there. They fully back these decisions. I spoke to a number of coalition MPs across the weekend, and they just want to see the numbers drop in Victoria because there still is a risk it's going to get into other states. And the next few weeks will make or break us. Those are the words of Premier Gladys Berejiklian in New South Wales as that state works to stop the second wave. Whilst ever Victoria is in the situation it's in, it automatically puts us, puts us at risk because we know no matter how strict you are at the borders, no border is complete. Yeah, Tom, and now she is strongly encouraging everyone to wear face masks. If you're in an enclosed space and you can't guarantee social distancing, such as on public transport, such as when you're buying your groceries, we also would like to see more staff who are customer-facing wearing masks. If you're attending a place of worship, and finally, if you are in an area where there's high community transmission or a number of cases... 
Gladys Berejiklian there. Annika, that's an interesting move in the context of that debate about whether you make laws and enforce these kind of directives or whether you just ask people to do it. Yeah, I don't think people are too willing to do it, I guess, until there's a fine attached to it. Interesting that you did see both the Prime Minister and Anthony Albanese, both Sydney-based MPs, leaders of their parties, both wearing masks on the weekend. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. Now, Tom, do you have a mask yet? No, I don't. I think it might be time to order some, though. <laughs> They're actually really hard to get online. You can still get some of those ugly sort of ones they wear in hospitals. You can get those at chemists. So yeah. if I was you, I'd be ordering some online. I know you ordered some. Um, we saw some of the designs a few weeks ago. I, I guess you haven't had a need to wear them yet. <laughs> I haven't. Look, to go to the supermarket from today in Canberra, they're saying they strongly encourage them at Woolies. So I might get to don one after this. So how many have you got? I have six. Well, you've got six. They're hard to order. Would you mind sending me a couple? Yesterday, the internet went down for thousands of Aussies with Telstra. Now, on Twitter, the telco blamed a cyber attack for the problem, which affected Sydney and Melbourne customers. Hours later, it tweeted that although the issue had presented as a cyber attack, it actually wasn't. The company posted that its security teams now believe it wasn't malicious, but a domain name server issue. Another Australian tennis star has pulled out of the US Open, which is meant to start in less than a month. We can rebuild our sport and the economy, but we can never recover lives lost. That was Nick Kyrgios following world number one Ash Barty, who says it's too risky for her and her team given the situation. Sam Stoza has also pulled out. And Nick Kyrgios in this video where he was basically lecturing people, which was strange to hear, says that if players want to go, it's up to them. But tennis players, you have to act in the interests of each other and work together. You can't be dancing on tables, money grabbing your way around Europe, or trying to make a quick buck hosting an exhibition. That's just so selfish. I don't get this. It just doesn't sit right to hear Nick Kyrgios lecturing people. Look, maybe it's because he's from Canberra, but I'm a big fan of this new Nick Kyrgios. Like that, that's why it was directed at Novak Djokovic, of course, hosted a tennis tournament a few months ago and was seen out partying and then ended up with the virus. So I like this new responsible Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, but I, I get that he might have been talking about that event, but that's over. We're now talking about the US Open, which is not going to be run in the same way the Djokovic's European tournament was run. How do you feel about the girls not going too? Um, I think they should play. It's up to them, of course, but it's going to be a pretty carefully run event and we've got to get on with our lives. I don't know. I wouldn't be getting on a plane to the US anytime mm. soon. I think Nick should stay in safe Canberra. <laughs> Look, I guess, you know, when your your body is your livelihood, you, you would really want to be careful um, with your lungs in particular. So, you know, when you hear some of those horror stories of people having long-lasting effects, respiratory problems from COVID-19, that sort of speaks to me a little bit. All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. In just a moment, Jan Fram will be jumping into the briefing studio talking about the pandemic pushing people to not have kids. This is Amy. She says that the pandemic is the final straw. She will not be having kids. I don't feel comfortable going into the future or confident going into the future, raising children and relying on the community around me and the state of the world as it is, that it's going to be a safe place for them. I don't believe that. I don't think it's the future is a safe place anymore as much as it could ever be. But I think it's inc- becoming increasingly hostile. Last week, I put a call out on my Facebook page and Amy was one of hundreds of people, men and women, 
uh, who commented and who messaged me saying basically the same thing, that the world was bad, that it's gotten worse, and frankly, that it's no place for children. Yeah, there was initially talk of lockdown love and the makings of a baby boom, but actually history tells us that birth rates are likely to drop in the wake of a pandemic and the recession. Yeah, and our birth rate was already dropping well below the point where we're not actually replacing ourselves. So the population here in Australia is only really growing because of migration. Or was only growing because of migration. Well, that's right. That's come to a bit of a halt now as well. Now, last year, Australia's fertility rate fell to a record low, 1.7 births per woman. And by 2030, and this is from the Bureau of Statistics, the number of couples without children is actually set to overtake the number of couples with children. So we're asking, has the pandemic pushed more people not to have kids? It has for Maria. Maria, you're 38 years old. You've decided not to have children. Can you tell us why? Just turning on the news, it's just the world is... I always thought it was greed, and now I think it's just evil. So I know that sounds really harsh, but lately, like like I said, I've always been hesitant, but now it's been confirmed, just the amount of like racism, poverty, economic uncertainty, the lack of mental illness awareness. It's just its just insane. And do you think there's something about this particular time that's made all of those things worse? Or do you sort of think it's always been like that? Well, we're not fighting a pandemic. I think we're fighting a pandemic and and stupidity, to be honest, like people refusing to, to work as a team. You know, this world is made for people that conform. It's not made for people who are open-minded, it's, it's just... So it's, yeah. not, it's not a good place to bring children into this world? No. No, I don't think so. Not, not in this stage, no. Nothing's becoming better. It's, it's getting worse. Maria, do you have a question whether the media, if you watch too much of the news and you see too many of the problems as the media portray them, that you don't get a realistic portrayal of the world we live in? Because you mentioned there's increasing poverty, but actually in the last 30 years a billion people have been lifted out of poverty. Our life expectancy has gone up. Um, We haven't had a world war for 75 years. In many respects, the world's never been better. I come from a country where we had a big, strong military dictatorship, and now I turn on the the news and and I see it like the same brutality on, on the streets. Like, I came here in 1985 and I'm seeing it in 2020. That was Maria there. She is in her late 30s, and she's obviously very worried about the state of the world. Yeah, let's look at the bigger picture. Anne Hollands is the director of the Australian Institute of Family Studies. Here's what she says about the impact of the pandemic and its recession on having kids. Well, you know, we don't know yet for sure because uh, we're right in the middle of it still. Uh, but drawing on the data that we have from the past, there certainly was uh, a dip in uh, birth during the Great Depression and uh, and, a, and a dip around 1918. So, you know, I guess one would expect that maybe there might be a, a slowdown now. Again, we don't know for sure. And economic factors are very, very important in, in this, I think, where there's, uh, you know, people, now that we have the chance to control our uh, birth through um, accessible contraception, it's it's more likely we will use contraception when we're unsure of our incomes. So we know that couples without children will overtake couples with children uh, very likely in the next decade. That was before the pandemic even kicked in. What impact does the dropping birth rate have on wider Australian society? Well, 
It certainly has an economic impact. You know, we do need to have more babies coming through uh, so that uh, we can, they can, they can be workers to support us old people later on, oh. right? Um, you know, so I'm personally worried about this. <laughs> but, uh, but, but also this year, you know, you may have heard that uh, there's been a drop in um, immigration rates, massive drop yeah. because mm. we're not bringing people in. And so that's the other sort of lever that governments use to kind of boost uh, the the economy is to bring more people in from outside. So if there is a drop in the birth rate, then that's a double whammy uh, with the drop in immigration as well. So what do you think is the psychological um, decision-making process around having children and why do you think an economic downturn makes people less likely to want to have children? Well, I think uncertainty about the future is is a big handbrake for some people, not for all people. I think it's actually quite hard to generalise here because it's such an individual thing. So you can talk about sort of population level statistics, but then when you go to the individual and how they're making decisions, I think it's often more affected by their immediate peer group and what uh, what the sort of the, the social norms are in their family, in their friendship group, in their community. And so to that extent, I think um, decisions about having babies is quite culturally determined. That was Anne Hollands there. She's from the Institute of Family Studies. We're doing okay comparative to, say, 100 years ago. You know, our life expectancy has increased. Um, you know, child mortality rates have improved dramatically. We've seen massive medical advancements in that time. We've had no war for 75 years. World War. Well, we've had, yes, sorry, there have been many wars. No world war for 75 <laughs> years. Uh, that's a good thing. We're sort of doing okay Well, the, actually, on a lot of metrics, the world's in an incredibly good place, mm. despite the obvious atmosphere at the moment that a pandemic creates. Yeah. So let's go back to Amy from Brisbane. She was the woman that you heard at the start of the topic. We're going to look a little bit more at her reasons uh, why she's chosen not to have children. She's in her mid-30s. And she basically cites the pandemic as the final straw. Um, the long and short of it is I just found it increasingly harder to navigate how would you raise children in this kind of climate? How do you build resilient and empathetic humans in a very increasingly hostile planet? Um, and people just assumed that you're having children. And mm. I was, it, the more I, the older I get, the more I challenge myself on that assumption going, well, do I actually want children? Do, you know, why do I want children? And when do I want children? And how do I see them fitting into my life? And, and, and my responsibility as a parent, I don't feel comfortable going into the future or confident going to the future, raising children and relying on the community around me and the state of the world as it is, that it's going to be a safe place for them. I don't believe that. I don't think it's the future is a safe place anymore as much as it could ever be, but I think it's inc becoming increasingly hostile. So has the pandemic been the nail in the coffin for your childbirth plans? Definitely, particularly financially. Um, I've been literally out of work for four months mm. um, and any savings I have um, are completely spent. Any consideration to having children, particularly in the immediate future, is gone. More so, you know, if we can't get 
like Australia, we're a very, we're a very lucky country. We're a very isolated country in that regard. We should be able to control a pandemic. We have a government that's so and indifferent to to ensuring the security and safety of its citizens. I mean, I think we've done okay, okay generally. We've, we've done, done one of the best well. in, in the world. And if you compare it to 100 years ago, um, when the Spanish flu hit, nearly a, a third of people in the whole world got it. We're actually handling it so much better this time around. And I wonder if, you know, you're talking about these values that are important to you. Couldn't you raise children to have them and help make the world a better place? Yes. Yes, I could. (laughs) But I'm, look, the short answer is yes, but I guess I'm making a choice to invest in other people's children Mm. um, in that regard. You know, um, coming back to that idea of my choice is also environmental. Um, overpopulation is a real consideration um, moving forward. We are increasingly having issues of um, resourcing, um, like the global commons are very much compromised. And so I would rather invest on shaping a world for those children to grow up in, like my friend's children and my family's children. Oh, that sounds very selfish. <laughs> But I'm not the only one. Like I would say yeah. um, about 50% of my friend group are in the situation where they've chosen not to have children. Wow. I'm seeing that more and more uh, amongst my female friends as I get older. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's certainly a trend. And I think, you know, some of the sort of stigmas around people choosing not to have children and, and them being deemed sort of selfish are, are changing somewhat as well. So I'm not surprised to hear that you um, that your friends are in the same position as, as you are. I think it's the, our parents' generation that we actually have to convince that it's not selfish. I'm getting so much more pressure from them than I am, I think, from people coming behind me or my friend group. Social yeah, group. they want grandchildren. Oh, good Lord, yes, they do. They do want <laughs> grandchildren. So that was Amy. And I've got to say, Jam, when I hear that logic, um, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me. I feel that potentially the way we consume information in this day and age, so much of it, we hear about all the problems from all the different parts of the world. It creates a general sense of anxiety, even though, as we mentioned before, the world is actually getting better in so many ways. Yeah. And so I feel like it leads to kind of irrational decision-making. I don't know if I'd call it irrational, but sometimes it's hard to know whether the intensity of your feelings about the world are necessarily going to be matched by the life that you live and the life that your children could possibly live. Yeah, and it comes back to your upbringing and and how that makes you feel as a person. And, and if you, you feel like the world is not good because of your experience, then there's so many things you can look at and go, see, I'm right, the world's terrible. Yeah, look, uncertainty plays a massive role here. That's not going to give anyone peace of mind, really. But let's let Anne from the Institute of Family Studies have the final word on the decision to not have kids because of the pandemic. I think it's an understandable and potentially short-term reaction. That's what I'm thinking. You know, I remember when I was um, a young adult, I um, that was an era where, you know, overpopulation was a really big deal. And I remember many of my peer group deciding, you know, well, we won't have children at all. Right. Uh, and when was this? If you don't mind me asking, <laughs> which oh I'm sure God. you don't, Anne. Far, far too long ago. Let me think. Um, I guess it was the late 1980s. Right. So the um, same conversation was being had then that is oh, happening yeah. now, really, That's, 30 years oh, later. Absolutely. And I remember in my, just my own peer group, we talked about, oh, well, we would only ever adopt children. We wouldn't have our own. We didn't want to increase the number of people on the planet, you know, that kind of conversation. Then, you know, gradually, bit by bit, 
uh, most people went on to have their own children. And uh, so that's just, you know, my little anecdote. And I'm not saying everybody does that. You feel different things at different stages of your life. So if there is a big cohort of young people now who feel very strongly about not having children, that well, that may continue on. I really, you know, can't predict that. Mm. But my, my, my gut tells me that not all of those will follow through on those commitments. So that was Anne Hollands yeah. from the Family Studies Institute. It's interesting that Anne talked about being anxious about overpopulation in the 1980s because the world is vastly more overpopulated now than what it was back then. So to think that people were sort of stressing about it back then kind of shows that maybe it's not really about the issue but more how you feel in the moment about the issue. It's always driven by feelings and and emotion, which is fair enough. Yeah, exactly. But then so are other major decisions, so why not this one? All right, that's it for today. Tomorrow on The Briefing, Dr Norman Swan answers your coronavirus questions. A Podcast One production.